Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood with Storytime. Again, I'm going to keep this one quick, because getting ready to take a trip, and don't have a lot of time to record. So we'll just pick up Glimmer Vale where we left off last time, where you know, things seem to be going a little weird with the deputy. Uh, but hey, at least we're going to go find some place to get, have a night's sleep and have dinner. Uh, we'll go from there. Hope you guys enjoy this part. Talk to you on the flip side. Chapter 5. The Orlock. The Orlock turned out to be a fair-sized inn a block and a half away from the docks. Two stories tall, it was a simple building, and far from new, but it had obviously been well-maintained over the years by a very conscientious owner. A simple sign showing a bearded man in foul weather gear pulling along the oars of a rowboat in rough seas with the inn's name written in the waves hung from a wrought iron stanchion on the street. Raedric needed no directions to find it. He led Julian to the inn stables as quickly as if he had been going between the constable's office and the inn every day for his whole life. Julian thought he knew what made Raedric tick after all the time they had spent together at the front, but his familiarity with the Vale and its inhabitants had come as a surprise. He reminded himself to ask about it after they were settled and nursing a tankard. The interior was not very much different from any other inn Julian had visited. A long wooden bar rested along the wall to his right as he walked inside. Tables with chairs for four lay scattered around the room, and there were a half-dozen booths built into the wall to his left. A set of swinging doors in the back no doubt led into the kitchen, and a stairwell in the left rear corner led upstairs. Two fireplaces, one in each of the front corners, provided warmth and some light. About two dozen customers sat around the various tables or on stools at the bar. One table in particular, in the right rear corner of the tap room, was particularly popular. Seven men and a lone woman clustered around it. A dice game, unless Julian missed his guess. Two powerfully built men sat on stools at either end of the bar. The fact that they were facing away from the taps and toward the rest of the room screamed that they were bouncers. Raedric made a beeline for the bar. Julian followed more slowly. The bartender was a balding man in his early middle years. He had the bland look of a man who had listened to enough drunkards to no longer pay any mind to what they have to say. Radric waved at him, but he took his time in coming over. When he finally arrived, the bartender looked Radric, then Julian, up and down and sniffed. Looking for a room, eh, boys? Radric looked around the room again before answering. Is Molly here tonight? The bartender nodded. She is. She's dealing with something right now, though. But I can set you up. Radric shook his head. We'll wait for her, thanks. The bartender shrugged and turned away. That wouldn't do at all. Julian spoke up. We'll take a drink while we wait. Yeah, what'll it be? The bartender sounded annoyed. His expression as he looked back at them over his shoulder confirmed it. Julian said, mulled wine. He glanced at Raedric and added, two of them. The bartender nodded and moved away to the center of the bar, where several tapped casks sat on their sides. He returned a short time later with two steaming tankards and set them down on the bar in front of Raedric. Two pennies, he said. Raedric fished a couple coins from his pouch and paid the man, then handed one of the tankards to Julian. 
The aroma of the mulling spices combined with the wine's natural nose made Julian's mouth water, and he suddenly realized how hungry he was. Not surprising, considering their small, hurried lunch earlier. Probably ought to get some dinner, too, he said before taking a drink. The wine was just as good as he anticipated, bringing a smile to his lips. Yes, definitely. But first, I'd like to... Radric broke off as a portly woman with gray hair tied in a bun atop her head stepped into the room from the kitchens. She wore a simple dress with a bright white apron over top and took a moment to survey the tap room before heading over to the bar. She conferred with the bartender for a moment. He gestured down the bar toward Julian and Radric, and she looked over at them, her expression one of curiosity. Then she said something else, which the bartender acknowledged with a nod, and made her way toward them. She stopped along the way to exchange pleasantries with a group of customers and was still chuckling from something they said when she reached Julian and Radric. Wiping her hands on her apron, she looked them up and down for a moment before speaking. I'm Molly. What can I do for you? We're looking for a room, Julian began, but Radric cut him off. You may not remember, but you used to do business with my father. Roland Volatier? Volatier. Molly repeated the name slowly, as though she was tasting every syllable. Then her eyes widened. Woodworker who traveled with Crispin Thunderly. She smiled, a broad grin that changed her expression from severe and businesslike to warm and inviting. Why, you wouldn't be little Radric, would you? At his nod, she laughed and clapped him on his arms, then pulled him in for a hug. Well, look at you, boy, all grown up. What brings you back through these parts? Heading home from the front. Molly's mirth faded. Well, I'm glad you're able to. I've heard it's brutal out on the front lines. She had no idea. Julian thought. If she knew half of what had happened out there. Well, she didn't, and he had no intention of describing it. Neither did Radric, apparently, as he simply shrugged and looked away. Julian knew him well enough to recognize the guarded expression that hinted at emotion ready to burst out in a torrent. Clearing his throat, Julian said, Mistress Millens, I'm Julian Hinderbrook, and offered her his hand. Molly turned to him and shook his hand with a warm smile. My pleasure, Julian. Call me Molly. You and Radric know each other from the army, I assume? Yes, ma'am. We finished with the army at the same time, and he told me so many good things about Malterabor that I decided to come along to see what the fuss was about. Is that where your father keeps himself these days? She asked, looking back at Radric. I haven't heard from him in... ten years? Fifteen? I hope he's well. Radric had his emotions under control again. He smiled and made a dismissive gesture. He always finds a way to do well. I haven't heard from him in six months or so, but last I heard, he was on the verge of making a killing in some business deal or other. Shaking her head, Molly laughed merrily. That does sound like him. Stepping back, she looked them over again. Well... Looks like you two could use a bath, a meal, and a bed. You're in luck. I have one more room empty. Follow me. Molly led them up the staircase at the back of the tap room. It was a tough climb, with every step painfully straining the stitches in Julian's thigh. He took his time, but even still, he wasn't at all certain he hadn't pulled some of the stitches out by the time he reached the top. Molly eyed him askance as he stepped, breathing hard from the pain off the landing. A strapping young man like you shouldn't have so much trouble with one flight of stairs, she quipped. What's wrong with your leg? Brigands on the road, he replied through gritted teeth. Got me in the thigh. Molly's eyes narrowed as she looked down at Julian's leg. Where did this happen? Just above the falls, Radric replied. We brought one of them into the constable before we came here. Molly mumbled something under her breath. Julian was not really surprised to hear a few salty curses in there, ladylike or not. She did run a tavern after all. More loudly, she said, Farzel's bunch? They nodded. Figures. Well, you're safe now. Come on. She set off down the hall, leaving Julian and Radric to look quizzically at each other. That was awfully fatalistic, Julian said. Radric nodded. 
The Molly I remember was no nonsense. Wouldn't tolerate trouble from anyone. His eyes moved to follow Molly as she moved down the hall. First the deputy, and now Molly. Who is this Farzel fellow? Dunno. But it's not our problem, is it? Julian limped down the hall after Molly. He glanced over his shoulder several paces on. Radric hadn't moved an inch, and he wore a very troubled expression. Their room was all the way at the end of the hall on the left, just before the hall made a turn to the right. It was about the same as every other room Julian had ever rented out. It had two narrow beds against the wall on opposite sides of the room, a locking chest at the foot of each bed, a chest of drawers beneath the window, a hanging wardrobe in one corner, and a wash basin and mirror in the other. The window was curtained and constructed so the lower half could be opened outward. All in all, not too bad. Molly smiled apologetically as she showed them the room. I wish my premium rooms were available for you boys, she said, but they were rented out two days ago. I hope this will be okay. It's perfect, ma'am, Julian said. Radric echoed him, and Molly smiled a bit more broadly. The bats are across the hall, and the privy is around the corner. When you've cleaned up, come downstairs and I'll have dinner ready for you. Thank you, Molly, Radric said. It's great to see you again, she replied. She turned to leave, but before closing the door behind her, she looked over her shoulder and gave Radric a conspiratorial look. Don't be too long. Lonnie should be back soon, and I know she'll want to catch up. Molly pulled the door shut. The click of the latch sounded solid and, for some reason, comforting. Julian tossed his saddlebag onto his bed and began removing his belongings from the pouches. Who's Lonnie? he asked. Radric was still looking at the door. At Julian's words, he gave a start, then, smiling abashedly, set about unpacking. She's Molly's daughter. We used to play together when my father and I came through here. She used to say I was her best friend. He paused for a moment. I always liked her, but... Radric looked over at Julian and shrugged. She was also a bit odd. I didn't understand how I could be her best friend since we came through so infrequently. Julian shrugged. Girls are hard to understand sometimes. That's an understatement. I thought you said your father owned a ranch in the hills above Molterabor. How did you come to pass through here so often? Radric paused again. He does now. For a long time, though, he made his living as a woodworker. He made high-quality tools, furniture, and toys that his friend Crispin sold from city to city. After my mother died, he couldn't bear to stay in our town anymore. So he convinced Crispin that they could make more money if he joined the caravan and made his products continually on the road. And he was right. The money flowed like never before. But more than money, we made many great friends, like Molly and Lonnie. Of course, we eventually got tired of traveling all the time. In truth, I think he tired of it before I did. Chuckling softly, Radric looked back at Julian and grinned. But that might be because he met a lovely young widow whose late husband was a big-time rancher. Julian chuckled as well. <laughs> I can understand that. Glad to hear it all worked out. Radric nodded. It did. Chapter 6 Nightlife After a bath, Julian felt much better. The previous few weeks had been draining, and it filled him with tension he almost hadn't realized. To say nothing of grime from the road and his physical injuries, he could have soaked all night into blazes with going back down to the taproom, but eventually the bathwater cooling and his stomach growling forced him to get up. Radric had already finished dressing and had gone back downstairs when Julian returned to their room from the baths, so he lingered just long enough to change out his bandages and don a fresh set of clothes before heading downstairs himself. It was a lot easier on his leg, going down than coming up, no big surprise there. He found Radric sitting at a table not far from the bar with Molly and a pretty blonde-haired girl. They spied him as he approached and waved him over with a trio of smiles. As he took a seat at the table, Radric spoke in an excited voice. Julian, this is Lonnie Millens, Molly's daughter. 
Lonnie was even prettier up close than she had been from afar. She was not terribly tall, best as he could tell with her sitting down, but her warm smile, rosy cheeks, full bosom, and intelligent gaze was enchanting. Julian smiled broadly as he shook hands with her and brought his lips down to the back of her hand. The pleasure is all mine, he said. Lonnie giggled, glancing aside at Raedric. You weren't kidding, she said in a melodic alto. Julian looked askance at his friend. What did you say to her? Only that you're a rascal who likes to flirt, Molly said. Great. Well, that's not true. He smiled a bit more broadly. I'm not at all a rascal. Both ladies laughed merrily for a moment. Then Molly stood up. I'll go check on dinner. It should be ready by now. Please make yourself comfortable, Julian. Tonight's on me. That was music to his ears. Dinner was outstanding. Braised beef atop seasoned rice, with steaming bread fresh from the oven and a very nice bottle of wine from the Pyrene Valley, followed by a large slice of a kind of cake that Julian had never eaten before. It was unbelievably delicious, though, and was a fitting end to the meal. Conversation was muted at first, since Julian and Raedric were both famished and did little more than shovel food down their throats. But eventually, after the plates were all pushed aside, the talk picked up a bit. Unfortunately for Julian, however, the conversation quickly degenerated into Raedric and Lonnie exchanging cherished anecdotes from their childhood dalliance, or whatever it was. Julian quickly began to feel that his presence was no longer needed, especially after Molly left to tend to business, so he begged off to run to the privy. Neither Raedric nor Lonnie objected. In truth, he was feeling the call of nature, but when he returned to the taproom after satisfying that particular need, he looked over at the table and saw the two of them engrossed in conversation and lost in each other's eyes, and he turned away toward the bar. Far be it from him to block his friend's chance to do well with a pretty lady. Julian slid onto a stool next to an older man in a faded wool cloak and tried to flag down the bartender. The man was busy at the far end of the bar, though, so Julian was forced to wait. You're one of them two newcomers, the ones who brought the thief in this evening, right? The man sitting next to him had turned to look at him and addressed him in a tone of friendly curiosity. Sure am. Julian. He held out his hand and received a good firm handshake in response. Horace, damn good to meet you, boy. About time someone did something about them scumbags. It wasn't much, really. Just defending ourselves is all. Horace snorted. Way I hear tell, you two boys fought off a dozen of them bandits without taking a scratch. Don't sound like nothing to me. Julian looked incredulously at him for a moment, then burst out laughing. <laughs> First of all, there were six. Secondly... He gestured toward his thigh, then held up his bandaged right hand and pointed to his nose. I took more than a couple scratches. Now, my friend over there, he nodded in Raedric's direction. He got off without a hitch, but I had the tougher task in that fight. Horace snorted again. Well, whatever. Point is, you boys did real good, and I'm proud to know you. Thanks, Horace. I appreciate that. The bartender finally made it over to Julian, and he ordered another tankard of mulled wine. But when the bartender brought the drink, Horace spoke up again. I'm paying for that, Rolf. In fact, this boy and his friend don't pay for another drink tonight. Understand? It's on me. Rolf looked quizzically at Horace, then shrugged. However you want to play it, Horace. I'll put it on your tab. That's really not necessary, Julian began, but Horace waved him to silence. The hell it ain't. You boys did us a public service today. Least I can do is buy you a couple drinks. Julian realized arguing any further would be futile. Besides, who was he to pass up free drinks, especially if they were for doing something that really wasn't anything special at all? Smiling, he raised his tankard to Horace and said, In that case, thank you, kind sir. I- A movement at the other end of the room drew Julian's eye, and he lost track of what he was about to say. The woman descending the stairs from the second floor was hard to miss. Long, wavy, dark hair, 
a perfectly hourglass-shaped figure, and a pretty face, she would have stood out anywhere. But here, the fine fabric of her dress and the glitter of precious metal and gems reflecting off the firelight from her wrists, ears, and neck stood out and marked her as a lady of means. Julian couldn't help but stare. Horace noticed, of course, and followed Julian's gaze with his own. Then he burst out laughing. <laughs> Forget about it, boy. That girl ain't got no interest in the likes of you and me. Is that so? What makes you say that? Horace looked at him as though he was daft. Well, look at her. Rolling his eyes, Julian returned Horace's gaze with one of incredulity. That's it? He asked, and realized that he had just let a healthy dose of annoyance slip into the tone he was using to address the man who was buying his drinks. He cleared his throat and looked away, but if Horace was put out or offended, it didn't show in his demeanor or in how he treated the question. A well-set-up lass like her probably comes from nobility, has a rich husband, or is looking for one. That's it. The woman walked, or rather, flowed, over to an empty table near one of the fireplaces and sat down. Julian noted with interest that she sat with her back to the wall. She was a careful one, or so it seemed. She had barely settled into her chair when a server hurried over. They exchanged quick words, then, making a slight curtsy, the server made her way quickly back to the bar. Let's see if your theory is true, Julian said to Horace. Then he stood and moved over to where the server stood waiting for the woman's drink. Horace chuckled. <laughs> your funeral, boy. Julian reached the server as she was reaching for the drink. Moving quickly, he got his hand in ahead of her and snatched it up, then tossed a few coins onto the bar. Hey! I've got this one, thanks. Julian said over his shoulder as he moved away from the bar. The mixture of chagrin and bemusement on the server's face was classic. He reached the woman's table quickly, only having to pause once to avoid being run over by a large drunk fellow on his way to the privy. She was reading from a small leather-bound book as he approached. From a distance, she looked attractive. Close up, she was gorgeous. Stunning, even. Suddenly struck by a big case of nerves, Julian almost turned around and went back to Horace at the bar. None of that. Taking a deep breath, Julian squared his shoulders and strode the last few paces to the woman's table. Your drink, my lady, he said as he placed her glass onto the table in front of her. The woman didn't look up. She just murmured, thank you, and held out a coin. A silver coin. Again, Julian was tempted to just walk away after pocketing the money, of course. Instead, he sat down in an empty chair at her table. No need for that. I covered this one. She looked up from her book and frowned. Julian moved ahead before she could say anything. I'm Julian Hinderbrook, and your name is? He put on his most charming smile as he spoke, one that normally made the maiden swoon. None of your business. She inserted a placemark, snapped her book shut, and cast it down on the table with an expression of disgust. It's bad enough I'm stranded in this flyspeck of a town in the middle of nowhere. I don't need to be accosted by every bumpkin in the place. Thank you for the drink. Now, off with you. She made a shooing gesture that carried entire levels of contemptuous dismissal. Julian had to force his smile not to compress into a scowl. Why, that conceited little... I'm no bumpkin. He knew his tone was frosty, but he couldn't help it, and frankly, she deserved it. The woman rolled her eyes. Yes, of course. How could I have missed it? You're a cultural minister from Tyrash. Sarcasm dripped from her words. It didn't help that Julian had no idea where Tyrash was. All of a sudden, he felt stupid, and from her expression, he looked the part, too. She shook her head slightly, then picked up her book again and opened it up to her place. Making another shooing gesture, she began to read again. A lesser man would have departed at this point. Julian decided to make one last attempt. Look, 
I'm just trying to be friendly here. I... As he began speaking, the woman looked up at him through narrowed eyes that sparkled with irritation. She cupped her hand in front of her mouth as though she was going to blow him a kiss. But when she blew out, instead of a kiss, a plume of flame leapt out toward him. Julian shouted a curse and pushed himself backwards, his hands flying upwards to protect his face. He leaned way back and his chair teetered for a moment, then fell over onto the ground, taking him with it. The flame burned out very quickly. It did not even reach his position where he had been sitting. But the flash of heat was real. Very real. Julian lay there on the floor for a moment, stunned. A sudden silence descended on the taproom as Julian pushed himself up to his feet. Every eye was fixed on him and the woman. His face warm with embarrassment and, from the brief heat of the flame, he fixed the woman with a glare as he brushed himself off. Then he turned and walked away. From the corner of his eye, he saw her give a mocking little wave as he left. He did not look back. Horace looked as stunned as Julian felt when he returned to the bar. All the same, he managed to smirk as he said, Told you so. You could have warned me that she was a mage, Julian replied angrily before he downed a large drink of his wine. Horace sniffed. She ain't no mage. Women ain't allowed to study majory, boy. Wonder how and where she picked that up. Julian shrugged and drank again, finishing off his tankard. Slamming it down on the bar, he scowled over at the woman for a moment. Whatever. I've had enough for one day. Good meeting you, Horace. Horace chuckled and shook Julian's hand again. Don't let it get to you. Good night. Julian nodded and made his way to the stairs. As he began to ascend, he looked back over his shoulder for a moment. The woman was still there, looking just as pretty as before, and just as separate. For a heartbeat, he imagined their eyes met, and she smiled briefly. Right, so, <laughs> poor Julian, <laughs> he got shot down pretty hard. But hey, man, you can't win them all, and you gotta try at least occasionally, right? So yeah, well, that's it. That's the end of chapter 6 of Glimmer Vale. 24 chapters left to go, which means 12 more weeks of this if we do it chap two chapters at a time, which I intend to. Hope you liked it. If you do, go pick up the book. You can get it from my website, ssnstorytelling.com, where you get the um, same price as everywhere else, but I get maximum profit because uh, you don't have to go through the various other retailers. Of course, if you prefer to go to Amazon or Barnes Noble or Kobo or Google Play or any of the other million places you can get books and Audible or iTunes or Google Play or Kobo or any of the other dozens of places you can get audiobooks, well, you can do that if you prefer. I'll still love you even though I get less money. But, you know, of course, you don't have to buy it if you don't want to, even though I'd love you to. Um, Regardless, if you like it, uh, what we've been doing here, to all your friends, uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do, and we'll continue on uh, next time. Uh, you can always go by my website, drop me a line at michaelkingswood.com. You can leave a comment on the video or on the podcast, the podcast site, through my site. You can leave comments there, too, and I love hearing from you guys. Um, yeah, that's all I got for now. Uh, next time I talk to you, I'll be in sunny Florida, which is... I'm in sunny California now, but Florida's better because no income taxes, and they respect the rights of the citizens, but that's neither here nor there. And doing a quick family trip there to see folks. Anyway, um, that's all I got. See ya. Talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. 
My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.